what happens after we die? Well, is that it? Or is there more to it? Hi there. Welcome to Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Today, Leighton begins a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent resurrection of you and I to either everlasting life or everlasting death. It is the quintessential look at life after death. Here's Pastor Layton with today's broadcast of Study Verse by Verse in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, God could have left mankind in their hopeless and desperate situation, but he promised to provide a Savior in the fullness of time. And throughout the centuries of the Old Testament, God revealed his plan of salvation and described the anointed Savior so that we would know him when he came. God provided us incredible details as to the Savior's place of birth, that he would be born of a virgin, his lineage, his message and signs that would accompany his ministry, that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, scourged, crucified, buried, that he would rise again on the third day. Only Jesus fulfilled those over 300 Old Testament prophecies that described God's Savior. And only Jesus can fulfill those prophecies. For in AD 70, the official records of lineage were destroyed at the temple in Jerusalem, and as a result, no other claims to being Messiah can be validated. Just three days after his crucifixion, Jesus was walking and talking with his friends. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to many disciples on many occasions, proving that he was alive and well. His disciples were so convinced and encouraged by Jesus' presence and appearance that they were willing to suffer the most horrendous of tortures and death rather than deny that Jesus was alive. They were skinned alive, burned alive, fed to hungry lions, starved to death, and made to endure the most hideous and barbaric of treatment because they believed in Jesus. And the reason they believed in Jesus is because Jesus rose from the dead just as he promised he would. And he promised his followers that they would also rise from the dead and be given glorified bodies. And the reason that his, his followers would not be silent, even though they were told to be by authority, was because all authority had been given to Jesus. He had no, there was no higher authority, and he said to go and make disciples. And so everywhere they went, his followers told other people about Jesus, about the gospel of Jesus that salvation and eternal abundant life was available for the asking through Jesus. So after instructing the Corinthian believers on how to be the body of Christ through the exercising of their spiritual gifts and reminding them of their responsibility to continue the ministry of Christ by sharing the gospel of salvation, Paul now continues reminding the Corinthians and reminding us of the gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that is the gospel I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And that, by the way, introduces an argument that he's going to address in this chapter. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. These are the important essential elements of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. 
He was seen by Peter and then the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. That story, by the way, is uh, found in Acts chapter 9 before uh, Jesus revealed himself to Paul, Saul, then called Saul on the road to Damascus. He was deceived into believing that he was de- doing God a favor by going around destroying Christian churches and families and, and Christians. He was doing God a favor. He was doing what was pleasing to God. And there are people today that do the same thing, and they think they're doing God a favor. But what, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor, his grace, on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, and yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. And and so it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you've already believed. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? You know, there are some people who believe that there's no life after death. That this life is all we get. This world is all there is. Verse 13, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if, if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. See, the Christian faith is believing that Jesus Christ went to Calvary to pay the wages of our sins so that we would be free of sin's dominion and sin's destination. And that he rose from the dead, that death was not able to keep him, and it's not going to be able to keep us either. That's the gospel, the good news. Verse 18. In that case, then all who have died believing in Christ are lost. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then those who believed him are either lost as in gone or in hell. Verse 19. And if our hope is in in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. What's he saying? Well, if our only, only hope for gaining Uh, by believing in Christ, is found in this world, and this world stinks, then you die, then we're going to be pitied for being so stupid. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So he's the first among many. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam... Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. God is, after all, the God of order. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back again. When he comes back again, Jesus is coming again. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Now, there's a parenthetical statement here. It says, of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. So Paul here is describing the nature of delegated authority. Now, remember also in the New Testament that the word God can either refer to the Trinity or God the Father, and here it obviously refers to God the Father. Verse 28, then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. And so Paul here first describes the process, and then he describes the end state. Now, the meaning of the next verse is obscure. I've, I've researched uh, from numerous biblical scholars, and, and I'm not an, alone in, in believing that the understanding is obscure. Verse 29 says, If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? And why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? Again, I, we, it's, it's an obscure meaning. Verse 30, and why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? If there's no life after death, no hope of resurrection in a renewed body, then why should we needlessly put at risk ourselves in this world? That's what he's saying. For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Jesus Christ our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus? If there be no resurrection from the dead. Paul describes godless people as wild beasts. Without God, people can be as vicious as wild animals devouring one another. And if there's no resurrection, well, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. You might have heard the phrase before, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It comes from here. The fundamental philosophy is that if this world is all we get, we might as well make a party out of it. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. They thought they did, but they really don't. What's he saying? Pick your friends and associates carefully. For bad company corrupts good character. You might think yourself a good person, but if you hang out with bad people long enough, you'll become corrupt also. He then goes on to describe the new body, which we will receive at the resurrection. Verse 35, someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Well, what a foolish question. I mean, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Now, there's a, a paradigm that's pretty commonplace that our bodies and us are one, that we're one and the same. But what the Bible teaches is that this body is simply a temporary abode in which I reside. I reside. And someday we're going to shed this body, we're going to be given a new body. So the body and I are not one and the same. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies in the earth. The, the glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. 
Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when they die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Well, time permits us to go no further. We'll close down today's program. Look forward to Monday when we'll pick up right where we left off here in 1 Corinthians 15. This has been Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Layton Sheely. Find out more about us and Church of the Highlands here in San Bruno, who we are, where we meet, and directions at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday for another broadcast of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely.